we appreciate you guys um, um, joining us this evening. I'm, I'm out in London, um, but my audience is actually international. So, um, you know, it's always going to be great for them to know where you guys are from. And because we always like to start from the sort of the very beginning and sort of work our way through. Um, yeah, if you introduce yourselves and, and where you're from, so I can let the audience get to, to know you guys. Hey, well, I'll start off. I mean, this is Mike and Slim. We're both from Atlanta, GA. Uh, we've been in the music industries for for the twenty for twenty five years. We've been Grammy award winning multi platinum R and B artists. You know that's brought you hits like "It's Over Now," "Peaches and Cream," "Only You," "Anywhere," "Cupid," and the list goes on and on. Once yeah. you know it's. Um, I I had. Um, your debut album, 112. And that album and Brian McKnight's debut album are the only two albums that you don't skip a track. You just play it and just let it play. Um, mm -hmm. I did a poll about six hours ago on my, on my, on my YouTube page. And I put your first five albums. And I asked everyone you know, to vote what were their favorites. And a thousand people voted within the last five hours. 63%. Guess which album they voted as number one? Uh, let's go with 112. Yeah, yeah. 63%. So this is about over 600 people. This is just within the five hours. Said that was their favorite album of all. Um, nice. So, but before we get to that album, because as I said, to me, um, it, it, it's, as I said, it's the only album I don't skip a track. One of the things that my viewers are used to hearing is that, especially Black Americans, it's where you guys got your start singing-wise. Because I think from our show, many people sing, you know, as kids, but very few get record deals and very few get to do five, six, seven, eight albums. So if we can start, so the whole thing about Must Be The Music is how did you break the mode to become where you got started from. So it, it always goes back to your roots. So, I mean, you can start with you, Mike. I mean, how did you get into singing? Oh, man, how did I get into singing? Actually, I, if you ask my mother and my grandmother, I actually started singing before I could even actually talk, you know, which is crazy. You know what I mean? It's like I could sing anything, but then when they asked me to say words, I just couldn't do it. So I never made the correlation. But um, I started singing at a, at a really early age. I want to say about three, four years of age. They knew that they knew then that I was, you know, gifted in song and and uh, and I, you know, like most singers, I got on everybody's nerves just singing everything. Like if I go to to like a McDonald's or something, I order a number one. I would say, "Let me get a number one." You know what I'm saying? Like I would just get on people's nerves, you know, just singing all the time, man. So um, I, that's where my 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 singing ability originated, and uh, um, most people would think that listening to my voice or whatever that you would think that I actually started from the church. The crazy yeah. thing is I never really sung a lot of solos in church. I was actually more of a choir singer in church. Whatever. So I did sing in church, but I never really sang lead. So I, I honestly don't know where all of this quote unquote soulfulness that my voice has came from, you know, other than, you know, the most high, because I never really sang leads in church you know what i mean like i was yeah. always in the choir i was i just wanted to be part of something you know i always wanted the group dynamic was always important to me not necessarily the solo thing you know because anybody could do solo yeah. my thing was you know how do you make this group sound incredible or whatever so that's that was one of the main reasons why i wanted to formulate and be uh and be the founder of 112 so 
that was um that was important to me. Yeah, and Slim, what about you? I mean, how did you? Where did you get your sort of singing spark? And well, you know what? Um, my my singing part did start in church. Right? I didn't have the um uh, traditional voice, uh, so I, I couldn't really sing. And um, well, I tried my best to join uh, choirs and stuff like that, but uh, my voice because it was very, it's very distinctive. Yeah, kind of stood out. So, um, kind of had a lot of doors kind of sh shut in as far as like, you know, um, choirs and stuff like that until I went to church, and I, and I was actually I had to learn a lot of like solo joints. So you know, what I mean, I was always out in front. So um, thank goodness Mike felt that way because look, he could have done. He it could have went either way on that one. <laughs> he could have He could have did it. <laughs> he he definitely started one twelve, and uh, I just feel you know I feel blessed that you know after me singing out there in the um out there in the lunch room and you know in high school that he heard something special and he was just like you know you know what I think he could be a a, a good contribution to the group. So uh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, you you know. It, it... And so I've, I've, you know, I've interviewed a lot of from as yet to um, Black Streets and stuff and, and that whole sense of a cut close forming groups. So when you go back to that, Mike, was the idea of forming 112, and I know the name wasn't 112 back then, but was it just to pass away time or was there a sense of we're going to sing and get, try and get a record deal? Or what was, it, what was the thought? No, the crazy thing was, man, we, we are historians of music. Like we're... we're we are study. We are students of music. We are uh, students of music theory, and uh, you know, for years in the beginning, man, we would sit and talk music theory all day long. You know, why an artist does what they do. You know, why did Sade sing the song the way that she did, as opposed to singing it this way? You know, why did Jodeci sing, you know, this chord as opposed to singing in this chord with that key? You know, we were always in debate of, you know, the why, the why. We always were were in search of the why. So when it came time to uh, for 112 to you know put the put this whole group together, it was really it wasn't about passing the time because you know it 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 really wasn't about past time for us. For us, it was about we wanted to be better than everybody else. You know that was our main goal. We wanted to be we wanted to sing better than everybody else. We knew we had four at the time we had four lead singers, so yeah. we felt like you know the best thing to do was to just out sing everybody. You know what I mean? So you know to to know and and not necessarily to know your enemy but at the same time to know the your your adversary or the people that your rivals are so to speak you know you had to know them you know you had to actually get in in depth with who they are you know so you can know how to better exploit their situation and then we looked at boys to men and jodeci boys to men jodeci new edition we looked at those three groups as the as the trifecta as far as the the, the litmus test of what we needed to do in order to be considered one of the greats you know what I mean? So we looked at Jodeci and we were like, okay, they're, they're good at this, but this is where they lack. And then Boyce and Men, okay, they're great at this, but this is where they lack. Uh, New Edition, this is where they're good at, but in our opinion, this is where they lack. And we tried to put our, uh, form our group based on what they were lacking so the world could see, okay, in addition to these guys, all, uh, you know, all of us being able to sing lead, they also didn't have any flaws. They didn't also, they also didn't have any weaknesses, so to speak. And that was, you know, the mindset for us, man. We wanted to be best. We wanted to be the best R&B group that ever existed. That was the goal. And that's what we set out to do. 
you know, when, when uh, we're putting this group together. So, no, it wasn't no, you know, it wasn't a pastime at all. <laughs> we, we coming out here to bust ass, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Slim, think about it. I mean, Atlanta, I, where you guys are from now is, is a hotbed. But, you know, I um, I used to live in Selma, Alabama back in the 90s. So I, mm-hmm. Atlanta was, you know, they hadn't had, but by 1960, they hadn't hosted the Olympics. So you don't go to Atlanta to get a record deal. When right. you guys were forming the, the the group back then, did you then think, man, we're in the wrong system? We need to move to New York or LA? Or what was the thoughts? Oh man, we had those type of conversations. You know, um, we were very young at the time, and you know, um, we had so many hurdles. We felt like uh, starting off, even in the inner city that we were staying. You know, uh, as you just said, you know, Atlanta at the time was not known for. Um, getting record deals as it was in New York or, or L.A. Yeah. But you know what? Um, when we first started, there were a couple of uh, avenues. And, you know, Sosa Def was one. Okay, that's, had, okay. crisscross. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, LaFace was one. And then you had um, uh, Dallas Austin. Now, thank goodness, because we had people that were uh, uh, cool and uh, with them or whatever, that we were blessed to be able to go up to Dallas Austin studio and hone our skills even more. And because, we, being frank, we thought we were about to be signed with Dallas Austin. You okay. know, we thought that that was going to be our avenue. And um, it was just, you know, it was just a blessing that, you know, how things happen. And, and you know, Puff actually hearing a demo that we had done working with Tim and Bob, because originally we were Tim and Bob's group. And um, from there, it was like history. You know, Puff saw in us that, you know, hey, you know, um, I can see them, you know, definitely building this era, bad boy era. So, and then we end up having to move to New York. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so that situation, you know, you know, I think once we're, you know, because of how we were put together and our mindset, what Mike was just uh, talking about, you know, we're students of the game. So we can, we kind of like talked about the whys, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And like, why this is why. So, when it was our turn, we didn't care if we had to move to Zimbabwe. Africa. <laughs> we we would do whatever we had to yeah. to be, be the best group. You're upset of our era. You know what you said. You know you dropped two things here. You mentioned Dallas Austin. So for those who might not know Dallas Austin, he was the sort of the architect behind TLC, um, and um, he Monica. was yeah Monica yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Monica. So he had Rowdy Records. So he was, um, um, he did some amazing stuff on Michael Jackson, Madonna. So he was, you know, yes. he was just on fire. Um, but you also mentioned Tim and Bob, you know, Bobby Valentino. I mean, those were probably um, two of the most underrated producers that there's out there. They're very quiet. And I think I remember Tim and Bob interview, had interviewed somebody and they said that they brought the Neptunes to Dallas. And Dallas came in and said, yeah, I wasn't feeling it. And he goes off. So when you guys were with, did you meet Tim and Bob first? Or did, and, 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 and they were working with you guys or, or you met Dallas? What was the, and how did that, that connection happen? Yeah, we met Tim and Bob first. You know, um, the, the goal was, well, how, it's, it's crazy because how we met our managers was the reason why we met Tim and Bob. Um, our manager at the time was doing some scouting for Tim and Bob. His name was Courtney Seals. He was actually doing scouting for artists wow. in Atlanta for Tim and Bob. 
and he found us, introduced us to, to Tim and Bob. From that point, we were supposed to be signed to Tim and Bob, but at the time they were working on Boys to Me and second album. And, and yeah, so they didn't really, you know, although they wanted to work with us and they wanted to groom us and they wanted to, but they also had Boys to Men who was, who was already an established Grammy award winning yeah. multi-platinum group that they had to work on their second album. It was, so we totally understood that. However, we weren't going to wait. You know what I mean? And uh, Puffy basically came in with the mindset of, hey, look, they're going to sign y'all a year from now. I want to sign y'all right now. And so when you look at it versus, you know, a year from now versus right now, you know, we was, we were ready to go ahead and be signed. Our intent was to be signed to uh, Tim and Bob through Rowdy Records. You know what I mean? That was the, that was the goal. We wanted to be signed. We like we had our loyalty towards Tim and Bob. We knew Tim and Bob. We knew that they were going to create these incredible records that they eventually did on our, um, which, which on, on many of our records. And um, so we just, and we felt the most comfortable when we felt like we had a kinship with them. They yeah. knew commission, like we knew commission. They knew take six, like we knew take six. Yeah. They knew all of the, you know, all of the artists that we akin ourselves to, they already knew them. So we knew that we had a, you know, an affinity with, you know, with these guys, whatever. However, they were working on other things. And Dallas Austin, he was going to sign us for the purpose of just signing us. Just, just, <laughs> just so, nobody else would, just so nobody else would have us, you know, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, we actually had a conversation with with Dallas like years ago. At, uh, well, years later, after we had gotten signed and sold millions of records, and I think we won the Grammy. What he actually pulled us to the side and apologized to us. He was like, "Man, listen, I wish I would have listened and <laughs> signed you guys as opposed to you know letting you guys go." And then because they had groomed us, Dallas Austin, Rowdy Records, oh. Tim and Bob had had actually groomed us. You know, before that was a, a Bobby V. Before that was a uh, a Monica before that was a Boys to Men record, before that was a Tamiya record, before that yeah, was Cisco yeah. the Thong song, before yeah. it was all of those records, that was 112. You know what I mean? And we were yeah. working with these guys back in 1994. You know wow. what I mean? So that's that's you know, our, actually our first, the oldest record we have on our album is called Now That We're Done, and that was uh, produced by uh, by Timmy Bob, written by one year of Boys to Men, wow. but it was produced by. Tim and Bob, that, that's the oldest record that we have on our, you know, the, the oldest song that we've ever recorded. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that just, you know, that just shows you the 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 years that we have with these guys. Yeah. And they understood more than anybody else what 112 needed as far as the sound was concerned. And we emulated a lot of what they taught us. A lot of our sound comes from the teachings of, of Tim and Bob. So yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, Tim and Bob was, you know, the was very instrumental in the 112 sound. Commission, Take Six, Timmy Bob were very instrumental in the one twelve sound. You know, and 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 you, and you know what's what is amazing? Uh, as, as I said, I interviewed um, yeah as yet, and and everybody talks very highly about Commission and Take Six, um, and and I guess because especially Take Six, Brian McKnight's sort of brother was in it. I think people forget because you know they weren't as commercial as any other group, but they seem to really. I mean, they were really good, you know, first without instrumentals and stuff. What is it about them that you really, because I, I wouldn't surprise you when saying, oh, yeah, we wanted to be like Jodeci and stuff. But you you went to people that other people, like the big boys to men and stuff, were influenced by. What led you to take the commission and take six? Well, you know, it, it was it was probably the uh, us studying the, 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 the formation of real groups. What is the definition of a group? So, you know, in groups, you know, you're thinking we, us, and ours. So you have to work together 
toward, you know, say, as a group. And 112, we definitely strive as for, uh, for like harmonies. Yeah. Harmonies were just as, the backgrounds were just as important as the lead vocals. Mm -hmm. So that being said, when you look at the groups such as, you know, Take Six and Commission, yes, they had the blueprint of what we were striving to do, but we wanted to do it in the R&B genre. So, yeah, um, yeah I, that was that was just an amazing situation. And, you know, just, just it was just an amazing, it's just amazing. Yeah. The, the first album, as I said, um, you know, most, as I said, no one's going to doubt how big it is. Um, you, you, of course, you've got the main track with Biggie and stuff. But as I said, the rest of the ballads, just 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 so amazing you know from cupid to as i said as i said it's an album i don't skip how much of the writing did you guys do because i know subsequently on other albums you guys surprised us how much writing you guys were doing but on the first album how involved were you guys on the writing and song creation on the, your debut album well it shouldn't have been a surprise man because you know the crazy thing was we were actually signed as writers in addition to being artists to Bad wow. Boy, we were actually, sound, uh, uh, we were actually uh, uh, contracted to be writers as well. We wrote for New Edition. I know that things ain't right. See, You're kidding me. Oh, we wrote right. that. We no, wrote, um, you don't have uh, to worry, the, yeah. Yeah, we wrote, the things you do make me keep running to you. Yeah. We wrote that for Gina Thompson. We wrote some wrote records for Tanya Blunt. We wrote some records for Faith Evans. Uh, we we co-wrote Caramel Kisses. You send my way. I won't complain. Just don't go away. Yeah, we wrote that song. We wrote um, what I'm thinking. Total brother, um, kissing you. Brothers. Isaac brothers float on, float on. You kidding me? Don't you know I want your love? Don't you know I need your love? Let it float on. That's wow. Yeah, that's actually us in the background, bro. Right. That's, what that's actually that's that's a crazy thing. That's actually us singing in the background, along with the um the kissing you remix, along with um you don't have to worry. There's just the so many of them. Yeah. yeah. When, and here's a um, here's a, here's a, here's, a, here's a um here's a gift that I'm gonna give to all future singers and stuff. When y'all sing backgrounds on stuff, that's actually a check that you're supposed to get as well, too. So don't let the record labels or anybody <laughs> else tell you that you're not supposed to get paid. <laughs> think background vocals. If you sing background vocals, you're supposed to get paid along with being written, writing the song, too. So we know wow. 112 didn't know that at the time. But you know, <laughs> we're up on that now. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just proof of thought for all you future artists or whatever. You sing backgrounds on somebody else's song mm -hmm. and it makes the album, like, you don't have to worry. That's all slim. That's all slim. He was supposed to get a check for that. You know what I mean? So that's that's the thing. But yo, bro, we, we've written many a song for many a people, man. Um, the Usher, uh, um, what's the Usher? Um, the, the movie that Usher did, Light It Up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a song for him. You know what I'm saying? We wrote, we wrote many of songs, man. Yeah, we had so many songs. We have we have a lot of songs. We have a lot Our of songs. Catalog is unmatched. Yeah. And the thing was, we didn't really get the recognition, which was one of the gripes that 112 had with, with being with Bad Boy because, you know, being being signed to Bad Boy, the, the, the mind frame was that everything that came out of Bad Boy, Puffy was the one that did it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? As opposed to the ancillary pieces that was a part of it, i.e. 112 writing a lot of these songs. We wrote for, uh, we, we did a lot of records for Soul For Real. We, we produced some records for uh, Tevin Campbell. You know what I mean? We, was, we were in it, wow. man. You know what I mean? We were, uh, Slim did some records for Mace. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of things that we did 
that the world didn't understand. And, and that was one of the frustrations that we had with being with Sound Bad Boy. Yeah, you get the recognition of being Sound Bad Boy, but the, the, the flip side of that is all the, the praise went to Puffy because everybody thought that Puffy was the one that was writing the songs, producing the songs, you know, co-producing the song, vocal producing the song, and that wasn't the case. 112 was signed as writers and as artists. You know what I mean? So we did a lot of rec from the beginning to like when we left Bad Boy, we was always writing songs. Yeah, so I think the one thing my viewers would, would, would you know, I, I had Timmy Gatling from Guy who, you know, who wrote all their debut albums and then, you know, because they wanted to steal his publishing, he got kicked out of Guy. Did you guys, when you got signed, did you know about publishing and, and ownership and write or credits and all that stuff or were you just like wow we're just we're here's puffy and dancing and stuff and just writing and, and gave everything away for free what was it did you who, i mean you've got a manager did did you know about all this stuff well I, I would just have to say that you know all of us we all came from the same neighborhood so it's not like we were you know, we, we, we didn't go to school. There were there were no music classes or, <laughs> you know, we didn't, nobody, nobody had music degrees. So it was one of those things of the school of hard knocks that, you know what I'm saying, we had to learn. But you know what, though? Wouldn't have it no other way because, you know, um, we're, you know, Mike and myself, we're, we're quite savvy with, you know, what's going on now because of that situation. And, and I mean, if you ask anybody from the 90s at that era that, you know, we all went through it, you know what I'm yeah. saying, especially your first project. You know what I mean? This is how the 90s was built. Yeah. So don't even take it personal. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, because of the things that are happening now and the rules and stuff that are happening right now, oh, trust me, uh, you know, it's a blessing that 112, you know, our music has transcended to the times where laws and rules have changed, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and you know, so... You, you, like, well, Mike and I, we can't sit up here and say we don't have our publishing because we do. Okay. And you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we um, we just made sure that, you know, that when it was time, you know, to um, modify certain contracts or take advantage of certain things or whatever, you know, we made sure that we were straight. So, yeah. No, as I said, it's, it's, it's a really sad thing because from this, you know, I think one of the things that we learned from, as I said, I've been from Damien, interviewed almost 60 people in the last month and everyone talks about the business and, and they were just so happy to get in it and, and, and unfortunately that you learn through everything as you mentioned not getting paid for background vocals and stuff the success of the of only you and you got with Biggie did it come as a surprise how quickly you guys blew up I mean double platinum album debut album was it or did you, I mean, were you prepared for the, the, the group's success when you first came out? Honestly, bro, and this is, this isn't arrogance, this isn't a hubris or anything like that whatsoever, but we knew, like, to that, that would suggest that we, we weren't anticipating greatness if we were surprised, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't look at what we would accomplish. Well, we already, if, if you're a firm believer in God, you believe that when he orders something, then you shouldn't be surprised about it because he ordered it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean right. You were going to be successful. And the, and, the, and, the, and the amount of work that we put in, the body of work that we put in prior to even being signed to Bad Boy, we had paid our dues, bro. You know what I mean? So we felt like that was just really the, 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 the success of what we had already put into place. Like we did the hours of practice and we did the hours of, of rehearsal. We did the hours of, of interview coaching and things of this nature, man. Okay. So that was, so you, so in, in theory, you can't do all of that stuff and not be successful. Yes. You know what I mean? 
So that was the mind frame that we had anyway. So to suggest that we were surprised by the success of only you would suggest that we didn't believe that God was going to make sure that everything was all right, which he did, you know what I'm saying? So we weren't, so to answer your question, you know, more thoroughly, we weren't surprised about the success that we had. We knew that we were going to be successful. We just knew it. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, again, it wasn't arrogance. It wasn't hubris. It wasn't, you know, anything like that. We just knew based on the amount of work that we had put in place prior to that, that we were going to be successful. If anything stopped us from being successful, it was going to be some outside forces. It wasn't going to be because 112 didn't put the work in. Yeah. How did you guys manage the, um, you know, since you started in high school and here, you know, you're, you're in a, 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 the industry that is like a shark pool, loads of things out there. How did you guys manage to keep yourself grounded um, as, in, as at the time before you in order to sort of, make navigate through through such a, a really dangerous environment well you know i would attribute that to the uh, like our, first and foremost our families and you know and um the people that we had around us the day ones and you know and this is our faith in god you know like it, it we never we we had our own goals so you so that's one of the um i would say just the genuine pluses of you know, not being just put together, but actually growing up with each other and, and actually bonding with each other and just, and saying, you know, cause I, like, I just remember having these conversations at, at you know what I'm saying, at grandma's crib. When I say grandma, I'm talking about Mike's grandma. So it's like, you know, you having these conversations and you're talking amongst family and talking amongst each other, saying what we would do if this was to happen or, watching other groups and you know have whatever downfalls we study everything wow. good bad and ugly of, of situations and you know um i would definitely have to say uh, that the connection that like 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 mike and myself we have you know what i mean like we had those conversations so like it's, so i don't see a surprise of like even with any any type of situations that we we've come across like now that you know why we always you know, end up on top, you know what I mean? So like I said, family, the the day ones, you know, that were with us before we had anything and, and our firm belief in God. Yeah. Yeah, you, it, you, as you said, by studying other groups, you could see that the, um, yeah, the pits of the, the, of the industry can really, they can really divide and conquer. When you guys were writing for other people, it, it, it wasn't, did they, they didn't, did all four of you put down start to write or how did you manage that because that in itself can also cause issues if one person seems to write most of the stuff and gets the biggest slice of the royalties how did what was that process like because I interviewed Bo Legalou from Full Force and he said look they made an agreement from the beginning the three brothers and their three cousins when we write anything even if it's just one of us it will be written and produced by Full Force and we split the money six ways doesn't matter if I did everything Mm -hmm. So, and they, and, and that, that was their rules. So for you guys, did you have that kind of conversation as to if, if, you know, if Mike's a better writer and he's writing most of the stuff or Slim's doing this uh, or Daron or, or, you know, if did you guys have a, a conversation? How did that arrangement work with all the stuff you, you guys were doing? Yeah, no, initially that was the goal too. You know, we felt like because we had equally put a, uh, the same amount of time and effort and sweat and blood and tears into this whole situation that we felt like everybody should benefit off of everything that we do. Like just truth be told, 
if we wanted to, if, if we really wanted to base it off of, you know, who does what, Slim saying the majority of the leagues. So, you know, if you want to do it by, by that, you know, Slim should uh, have the majority of the money as far as the shows are concerned. You know, if you wanted to base it off of that, but no, we all basically said that, you know, we was going to split it four ways at the time. And that was the initial conversation. However, over time, and you will see that the two people that still believe in it are the, the same <laughs> people that you're interviewing, you know, believed in the whole system of, you know, what I do, I do for all, you know, for the entire group. We, we us and I. It's, it's we, us and our versus me, myself and I. We always live by that same mantra. You know what I'm saying? Uh, until the other two guys decided that they wanted to make everything about them. And then that's, you know, that's when you started to see in the divide. However, Slim and I, you know, still believe in that same mind frame that, you know, whatever we do, we split it both ways. You know, so split it down the middle. I don't care if Slim wrote all of it. I don't care if Mike wrote all of it. Slim going to get a piece of that. You know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, vice versa, whatever, because we felt like even if I didn't write on that song, the amount of things that I contribute to 112 to get him to this point where he could write to that thing, yeah. I, I wanted the opportunity. I played a part in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that the trickle down effect is something real, man. So I believe I believe in that. Now, what so Slim does as a solo artist, that's 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 Slim as a solo artist. What yeah. I do outside of 112, that's that's me what I do outside. But when it pertains to 112, if it's writing, if it's producing, this and the other, my my philosophy and Slim's philosophy was yeah. it's it goes right down the middle. You know what right. I mean? And and you see who is here doing interviews with you today that lives by that same mantra versus, you know, and not cast casting aspersion on those guys as well, but you see what happens when you go away from that frame of mind versus what got you here in the first place. You know, one of my favorite groups is Codeplay and Chris Martin does most of the writing, but if oh, you look Coldplay. at the, if you look at that stuff, it is written and produced by Codeplay. Exactly. You two did the same thing. Bono says, look, I did, a, it's going to, everything's going to be written and produced by YouTube. In fact, we spin five ways. Our manager, who's been with us for 30 years, he takes a, a cut because he's without him. So, and they're successful. They're the biggest and richest group because they, they keep it like that. Love, so, right. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because, you know, um, um, I guess being a lead singer, I, I've had the opportunities of speaking to certain um, very successful, you know, say groups of eras and different genres. And I saw that, you know, I, at first I thought that, you know, maybe 112 was just, a, you know, just a freak of nature because, you know, you do hear of groups that don't do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I spoke to other groups that did have that mind frame and I always kept that situation and told me long time ago that, you know, if you are believing in the brand and you say no man bigger than the brand, yeah. then you're, then the group is automatically successful because you then you you're it's just like a a, a team that yeah. has a a, a a certain let's say a, a play like mm -hmm. this 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 team right here is known for this offense or this defense or whatever as long as you don't break that system guarantee you there's going to be a form of success that you're going to over and over again over and over again until somebody figures it out or you stop it yourself yeah. Most of the time you stop it yourself. So, yes, um, so that, I, I, that's real funny when you said co-play. Or and there's other groups that do that, too, that I've spoken to. I, I won't call their names, but, I would, but I, I would definitely tell you that, you know, that's why, you know, it was, for me, it was, it was, like, disappointing when, you know, 
when not just us, but uh, well, not you know, I'm saying us like me and Mike, but just us in general or any group I hear goes away from that, strays away from you know being in a group. If you don't say we us and our, you shouldn't be in a group. You should be by yeah. yourself. Yeah, Coldplay X and Y is my favorite album um, from Coldplay by, by far. Off by yeah. 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 That's, that's my greatest. Album. I love that album. But go ahead. Yeah. There, there, there was a short. I'm not sure if you ever watched them um, on VH1. They had behind the music. Um, you know I did, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my show is based on that because they did the whole background stuff, and you watch it, and you, and that's where you learn about the groups. You know, one lead singer, one guy writing all the tracks, makes all the money, then the others resent that, and they split. And so you start to realize that, as as you said, if you come in as a, you know as the musketeers, you know you know as one fall and all for one, it yeah. you carry yourselves through through the through the through the, through the goods and, and and the bad times. The um, especially in the industry, as I said, you know, there's there's. From us as fans, we would see the videos and see all the glamour, think, oh, you guys are having fun. But we're learning that behind the scenes, it's not always like that. We saw the new edition story, you know, they're not big records, and yet they're still living at home in the projects. You know, it's, you know, going on tour and then come back and all the money's disappeared. And so you realize that if you're not as a team, it can be tough. And I'm a therapist. I'm a mental health therapist when I'm not doing this stuff. Nice. Depression, anxiety, all that stuff. We don't realize, you know, I interviewed LJ from Profile and he talked about mm -hmm. he was struggling with depression and he said, I can't continue or I'll kill myself. And, and people didn't realize what it was like. But, you know, going back in, I mean, you're, you're, you're signed to Bad Boy. You know, they had the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the world at that time, Biggie. You know, he was, he had transcended rap and stuff. Um Yet Craig Craig Mack had really come out with one of the biggest rap tracks that we'd seen in a generation. The hype around Puffy, because he was, you know, he was he was he was, he was like gold dust, you know. Anything he he just even spits on, everyone goes and buys it. How did you make sure that you don't lose your identity? Because you guys have been working since '93, you know, to to form an identity. Now you're moving into Bad Boy, where he has a way of sort of, you know, I think the locks didn't like the whole suit and stuff. How did you maintain your identity and uniqueness? What makes you guys different in the machine of Bad Boy, which, as I said, was was a big success? Uh, two points uh, I want to make. And I'm glad you asked that question. And I'm also glad that you, did, did you, uh, you spoke about mental health because I am an advocate for mental health. Um, you know, I speak about having, you know, a, a therapist and I've, I've been with a therapist you know, off and on for the last 15 years. I, you know, I've, I've had a, like at least five or six different therapists or whatever, but I'm a very uh, strong advocate for, you know, especially with a focus on black men having, yeah. um, because, you know, we deal with so much stuff and yeah. nobody's there to, to you know, other than another black man who's going through the same thing that you're going yeah. through. You know, there's nobody there to vent, you know, say vent to and express your emotions, express your, your your feelings towards whatever. So the fact that you're doing that, I, I give you big props to that man for being an advocate and also being someone there to, because it's very important for for, uh, for men, especially yeah. with the focus on being black men, especially to be able to speak on mental health because it's very important, just like any other part of the body, the brain needs help as well. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? We go through so much stuff with depression, especially this music industry, man. You know, like one minute you're the best thing on planet Earth, and then the next minute you ain't, you haven't lost any skills. Yeah. As a matter of fact, as you've gotten older, you've gotten better. Yeah. But the world don't want to hear that shit. You know what I'm saying? They want to hear, you know, what you did. You know, they want to hear Cupid again. You know what I mean? Like, but I've evolved past Cupid. What are you talking about? And it's like, no, 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 no. We don't want you to evolve. We want you to stay where you were. And back in 1996, we don't want you to evolve. And and, and they're like, they're in lies of depression. And, you know, we have our ups and, and Slim can attest to this. We have our, our ebb and flows when it comes to the music industry. You're the hottest thing on planet Earth one minute. And then the next thing you know, they like, who? You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's real crazy. And there's no other drug more addictive than the music industry. I don't care what nobody else is saying. Yeah. Other than like this, because there's no cure for that. That's one. But so I'm, I'm, I really appreciate it. And I thank you for being an advocate for, you know, mental health. But uh, with the focus on um, what we, we were talking about, uh, like how do we maintain ourselves? Um, honestly, no, but, but before you move to that, because uh, as I said, I'm a therapist and, and it's all about identity and especially, you know, that sense of identity. And if your identity mm -hmm. is the group and, you know, your heart, that's great. As you've said, if the, if the label pushes and you, you're not the priority, then you're all wrapped up in that. And unfortunately, there isn't that outlet, you know, as I said, to talk. Black men don't get depressed and we don't have mental illness. Um, my parents are African, Nigerian. You don't, no one has mental illness. You just have stress, but you're fine. Um, did you guys feel like you had the opportunity back in those days to talk about it and get help? Or was it off the record and if, and you had to hide any no. struggles you might've had? I'll tell you that right now, no, because it was taboo back then. You know what I'm saying? Now, one of the great things with social media nowadays is like, you know, if you're a homosexual, you can be a homosexual and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's celebrated. If you're somebody who's of the LGBTQ community, you know, you can be that and it's celebrated. If you're somebody who has mental health, you know, it's, it's starting to get to a point now where, you know, you, you and, and, and the thing is, all of us in some way, shape, form or fashion need someone to talk to to get that, you know, get that energy out. So it's not necessarily I have an, I have a mental issue. It's just my brain needs, you know, needs therapy, just like just like my if I was working out and then my arm got, you know, if I got a, a, a cramp in my arm. I would need therapy for that as well. You know, it's just like any other part of the body. The, the mind needs a, 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 a break, too. It needs yeah. a reboot, too. And it's not necessarily like I have a mental disorder. It's more like I just need to stop overthinking. I need to yeah. stop have so much anxiety. I need to stop thinking that everybody that's out here is out to get me. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm, uh, I have to stop thinking about whether or not this fan that's over my head is going to fuck around and, and break and fall and, and, and hit me on top of my head. That's the kind of thing that you know saying that we as you know as artists we always because we're so used to being at the center of attention and and somebody always and 99 percent of the time people are out to see what they can get from you versus yeah. what right. we can help you get absolutely man like I'm, I'm an advocate for for mental health and especially with the focus on african-american men and, and just african just just black men period because we go through so much um, I did a, a 23andMe, which is the DNA test, and I found out that I'm like 70% Nigerian too. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, so you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm learning, you know, as I go along as well too, man. So, um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's it's really hard and it's really challenging to be a black man in this world, no matter what part of the where you're from. It's just really difficult because 
they 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 feel like you have this angry black man syndrome going on or whatever. So you're incapable of, of intelligent thought. You're, you're incapable of having a, a, a cogent conversation with anybody and without being uh, upset or irate or whatever. So they, they much rather just, you know, just, you know, yeah. I'd rather not talk to this guy as opposed to getting to know why he's so angry, what's, what's going on with him, why is he the way that he is, man. And, and we have, and especially with African-Americans, we have 400 years of, of, of oppression yeah. that, that, that we have in our background as well, man. So, and they, they go slam slams back too. Yeah, so, sorry about that. There yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah wow. sorry about that. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. It, 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 yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's difficult, man, to be you know, a black man in this world, man, to try to navigate through all that. And, you know, uh, Slim and myself had to deal, even in the music industry, had to deal with so much racism and so much wow. ridicule. And, and we'll just have to grin and bear it, you know, because, you know, if, if we say anything, then as artists, you know, you're not supposed to, you're, you're supposed to be better than that. You're supposed to rise above that. Like, yeah. you're supposed to not let things like that happen to you or let things like that uh, affect you and things of that nature. And we're just as human as everybody else, man. So yeah. we had, those are some of the things that, you know, that we would have to deal with, man. And and, and um, I think that the fact that, you know, we're talking about mental health now is, yeah. is, 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 a, is a great thing because it allows us to familiarize and normalize talking about mental health now. Yeah. And, and, and my thought then was that back in the early days when you, when we talked about your identity, especially being on Bad Boy, did you guys, the four of you at the, at the time, were you at a point where you could support yourselves and say, guys, this is what, what we've been training for um, and, and let's not get too, um, let's not stray away from what, we, what, what our beliefs are and, and our values. You know, this, that was the other part of the question about how did you maintain that unique sound that, that you had when you joined Bad Boy? So, you know, um, one of the things that we did, you know, it was like building blocks. Like, okay, we uh, at first, you know, uh, created the sound as far as like the harmonies as well as the, uh, the lead singing. Then uh, we were blessed to be able to go right on tour. I, I mean, as soon as we dropped an album, we were right down to tour our first tour was the Isley Brothers. Wow. From there, we started learning that we were, we wanted to be a group that was considered a touring act. With a touring act, we understood that the majority of the money that's really made through the touring revenue, mm. you know, we, we started then adding pieces and parts, watching the greats that we were, we were, we, you know, we basically looked up to. So you, you see the Isley Brothers or New Edition or Keith Sweat or, you know, Janet Jackson, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it just goes on, like, it, it's like we were picking up, like Whitney Houston, we went to Whitney Houston. Like, you you pick up amazing aspects from that artist and then we, we add it to our repertoire. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being that ultimate touring group because 112, we're perfectionists in ourselves. Like, just when you thought we were on top of the world, one situation, we were never content. We wanted to add more things to us. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, you know, it just in respect to us being a touring act, like um, we were singing and we sounded amazing, but you know, we didn't want a boring show. So looking at New Edition, we were like, <laughs> man, we need to learn how to perform. We need to yeah. go and we need to take it up a little bit higher. And I'm so glad that we invested our own money, 
You know what wow. I mean? It was, it was, there were times where we were thinking crazy. It was like, I mean, I could buy this house here. We're still in the hood, but you know what? We could invest into ourselves right now. And it was, and you know, um, we got with uh, choreographers and I'm glad we did that because then we, it opened up other avenues like being on tour with Janet Jackson, you know what I mean? That okay. opened up even more revenues, you know what I mean? And, and then, you know, when groups weren't even dancing, we made dancing cool, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so like the, the art of, you know, entertainment, you know yeah. what I mean? We wanted, to, we wanted the, uh, the fans to say, if you work so hard for your money and you know what I mean, I, and you want to be entertained, if you want to be entertained and get your money's worth, yeah. you go into a 112 show. So that's exactly, and I'm so glad we're doing that. So like right now, we're of the premiere, we're in the top tier of our era, you know what I mean, of our genre, you know what yeah. I mean? Because we have a stamp that says like, you, if you come to a 112 show, yeah. if you're on our show, you better understand, you better bring your A game. Yeah. You get a you get eaten alive in a lot of ways, you know what I'm saying? Not just singing. So that's why I'm saying, like, and you know, um, thank goodness that you know that's what we were doing. We were just adding on, feeding that demon of, of us the perfectionism yeah. of you know, and not settling, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, so um, you know, that's that's pretty much how we did it. You know, but it's amazing what you said about um investing in yourself because the best tour concert i've been to is a mint condition because when you listen to them stoke you you it's as if you listen to the album yes. it was just one of that and you know but my uh, so my two tours where i went on a new edition home 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 again tour and you know they had bobby come out they had bbd they had ralph and johnny then they all came together it, it was almost like black street opened for them when, with no diggity so you could see it was just an, an unbelievable but as you said, they were, any poll I do now, if 6,000 people would vote, New Edition would always come on top. Not because of the music, but it was because they performance. Even as old as they are, they would still not lock it down. And they learned that from the beginning. How did you guys, you said you invested in yourself. Did you look to them and say, stage-wise, we need to emulate them? Because it's not easy for singing groups because... I've seen Boys to Men back when they tried, when they had the Evolution album and they tried to dance around. It didn't seem to fit because I'd, we knew Boys to Men as amazing vocalists. So when they were dancing around and doing, the Puffy produced a track for them. I can't remember what it was called. But when they were performing that, it just didn't look right because Boys to Men were the vocalists and it dancing around didn't seem to fit. How did you guys manage? Because you guys are amazing harmonizing vocalists. But the performance to that, most other groups who dance and choreograph don't have what you guys had. Well, we, we were able to, to get away with it, man, because we created a new genre on our own, man. Because prior to 112, no R&B artist was successful at singing over hip-hop beats. 112 created that hip-hop R&B sound, and we don't get a lot of credit for that. And I'm telling you this now, man, so you can, you know, help along, you know, the cause when we had these interviews with Like, you can say, listen, man, 112 was the one that, that you know, when, when you go around the table and you talk to other people about R&B, you can tell them 112 was the one that created that hip-hop and R&B vibe, us along with Mary J. Blige, because there was no R&B artist that was successfully on a consistent basis singing over hip-hop beats mm. before 112. And I dare you to find somebody else that can do it. 
I dare you. Like we can see it right now. And I dare you to find somebody who can sing over R and who who can sing R and B songs over hip hop beats. There wasn't any. One twelve. Well, I, I did interview Buddy Weeks from Intro, so he would. They would probably say, "Yeah, well, Kenny Green was. You know, he did wrote all the Mary stuff." No, no. Okay, okay. I just and, and look, I, I would argue like we can get him on the phone right now. We can get him <laughs> so, so I mean, I so, and, 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 and what I mean, writing, by successfully do it consistently over a period yeah, of time. The intro do One it. Song so, ain't that's why I say the intro do it. Like I, I understand Kenny as a writer. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like we wrote a lot of songs for a lot for a lot of you know successful you know ourselves. But you know, Mike just said something there. Like consistently over and over again singing records over hip-hop beats mm. and i mean at 112 we really didn't have a weak link because we've had successful multi-platinum ballads we've had successful multi-platinum mids and those up tempos which here we go mids and ups were straight hip-hop beats mm. straight and, and and we would do the records with rappers that you wouldn't even think you know what i'm saying who would think that we would be singing cupid and write this ballad, I love you type song. And then all of a sudden, and then also do a, a, a multi-platinum uh, number one record with Mob D, let's say, or B Notorious B.I.G. See, yeah. that's why I said like one, like what Mike was just saying right there. Yeah. One, like 112, that's, that, that was our niche. And then, you know, we transcended and, you know, you had people trying to emulate it. Yeah. No, as I said, no one, I mean, it's, to come up with five, six, seven albums in, as an R&B group is almost unheard of in the 90s because the shelf life was very, you know, very hard because loads of competition. Um, and what is strange that it wasn't, you know, you had an amazing debut album, then you go platinum with your second, then your third goes double platinum, you know, Peaches and Cream. You, you, um, you know, that, that, you know, it was just like, wow. And, and, and the consistency definitely um, um, was, was there. But did you then, because the, the one gripe we did have with some groups uh, and, um, was maybe using the backing tracks, just being lazy and just say, okay, we just have a backing track, while others like, okay, you know, we're investing ourselves, we'll get a band and really, you know, change things around. Did you guys, did you, was there the option, was that something you had to pay for getting a live band or did you decide it's cheaper for us to get a back and track and, and save some money on that? Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, we 112 mindset was always to do to be better than, than our constituents. You know, we wanted to be better than Drew Hill. We wanted to be better than Jagged Edge. We wanted to better, be better than Next. We wanted to be better than uh, As Yet or anybody else that was coming, that came out during the time that we came yeah. out with. And so we figured what was the thing, what was some of the things that we were going to be able to do that were, you know, going to be leaps and bounds better than everybody else. What Slim alluded to earlier, where we put money instead of taking that advance and spending it on cars and um, and houses and and women and all this other stuff, we took that money and we invested in ourselves and we went and we got into a rehearsal studio wow. and we started learning how to dance. So it didn't look corny. That it didn't look like we were like we were trying too hard to be something that we were, and we made it look natural to where it was part of who we were. And that added on another 20 years into our career. Yeah. You know, and so that was the that was the mindset that 112 had with that. What are some of the things that we can do that we know that we can do better than everybody else? We knew that as a group, we could dance better than anybody else. We knew that as a group, we could sing better than anybody else. And so along with those lines, what do we need to do? We need to find a band. 
let's create this band. Let's get this band that understands our band that understands what the 112 sound is wow. and what we would like and, 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 and then just create, you know, that, that whole vibe. So when you came and saw us, you know, you saw a live band and you would, ex the expectation would be that you have a live band for 112 when we perform and then anything less than that would be lower than. So, so we can command more dollars when we yeah. go outside and, and perform and stuff. So yeah, the band was very vital for 112 to, to do that. Yes. You know, it, it's almost, it's almost second nature that you would get a band if you're an R&B singer, like you need a band, you know, like at, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, you need a band. You can do the band in the box. Yeah. Where, People come in and they play over your tracks and stuff. Yeah. But it's nothing, it's, it's, it's not like having an actual band who can understand, who can vibe with you, who can slow stuff down with you, who can, you know, speed things up with you, who can, you know, play along with what you're singing, you yeah. know, some things of that nature, whatever. It's, it's a lot to be said about having your actual band with you versus a band in the box is what you described. Yeah. I mean, you think about um, Big Bob and today, their band was basic black. So Basic Black was their playing band. And then when they the guys headed their own split, Basic Black became their own group. But um, but even Guy, I mean, I've interviewed them and they've talked about how when they put up a show, the band, it was really different. So none of that. Teddy was very much of a perfectionist. We need to sound better than the record and do all right. the remixes and stuff. The um, I, I guess I think one of the big things that um, I wanted to find out is you talked about getting a manager. You talked about learning about the touring and, and commanding more money. Who's who does that? Is it you guys thinking, oh, we need to make more, we need to um, invest in ourselves because we can get more money on tours, or we're going to make less money on this and that? Does the manager not say, guys, this is the business, this is what's going on, and we're going to do this, and you have a discussion, or is it you guys having to start reading and looking and finding out and telling the manager this is what we're doing? What was that? relationship like well you well you know what there was a combination of both like you know uh, uh, you know of course you know just the definition of a manager you know their job is to manage what you know what i mean so us as artists we have to give the we have to give the firepower to the people that are supposed to be working at, at our you know what i'm saying for us mm -hmm. so so you know like mike and myself like we think of all kinds of ways that you know that will definitely build the brand and take the brand to the next level. A lot of things, you know, um, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about just the talent situation of it. It's only 20% of it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of other things that go on with this music industry. So, you know, we just like to be ahead of the ball, you know what I mean? As far as a lot of things. So you recognizing exactly where you are in your career, and what you need to go to the next level, and then you and then you reach out for it, and then you hold people accountable. So we have a team that knows us from day one. They know exactly what they are. They they don't try to step on each other's toes. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They master in that. Just like Mike and myself, we master it on the stage. You know what I'm saying? So there are certain things that you know we will have ideas and this whatever. And, you know, and, you know, when we do our situation, chances are we have really, see, we're students of the game. So we, we've probably done our research, done homework. This is what we got to do. If we're not doing it now, this is what we need to do. Yeah. Then we have a team that actually knows how to do certain things and then puts it in front of us. 
You know what I'm saying? So there are there are no weak links. There are no, no there are no anything. So you know that's why I say like we can attest that with us making sure that the brand is still moving at the pace that it's supposed to be, and you know our ultimate is to you know have that star on the Walk of Fame and you know the induction of the Hall of Fame. So you know um, that's that's basically what we're doing. And I think that's the, the, the big thing that if, when you start to have that as a vision and, and a goal, it, I guess it pushes you to not settle. Um, I, I always remember Mike Singletary, who was with Chicago Bears, and he came and told us at a conference about how he had a dream at five years old that he was going to win the Super Bowl. And he was dead, dead poor living, you know, and he, he had this, he wrote it down, that's what I'm going to do. And he talked about having a vision writing it down and, and and almost willing it to come true, you know. So having that, you know, walk of fame and so, yeah, Hollywood star um, and uh, rock, um, you know, being on the, being inducted, you know, that then makes you guys say, you know, we've not, we've not, we've not, we've not even arrived, so we need to keep pushing. The, the question that we all, we, we all have is first three albums are blowing up. Um, then... I always remember the controversy with um, did when you signed. Did you sign a, a, a three album deal or five album deal or seven album deal back in those days with Bad Boy or was, was it open to interpretation or what? It was seven years of seven albums. Seven years, seven albums. Yeah. Which you know, which it's almost like um, it doesn't make sense having yeah, seven that's, albums. That's unheard, yeah, yeah, that's unheard of nowadays. <laughs> you know, you know seven. <laughs> Seven <laughs> albums is, is like, yeah, well, it's 12 years of slavery. I mean, how do you sell, who, who comes up with seven albums? I'm praising you guys that you came up with all these albums over 30 years, you, you know, taken. So how did you, you know, then we heard that you are planning to go to Def Jam or Def Soul at the time. And it didn't seem, it didn't seem to, it didn't seem to make sense from an outsider's point of view because Bad Boy was still the biggest, one of the biggest independent labels then. Def Soul was just picking up, you know, they, they, they went, you know, they went, you know, they're still, they didn't have, they, they had a few groups going in, but it was still starting up. So it didn't seem to make sense to us that you were jumping ship, but we didn't think legally, how could you possibly do that? Now, of course, all I can go through is the Wikipedia and, and the presses to say, oh, you were discontent with certain things, so you wanted to jump ship, but um, from an insider's point of view, the, how was that time for you guys? The stress and the did, was there unity in we're going to do this, or did some say, "Yeah, no, let's stay"? Uh, we weren't really stressed more so than we were fed up. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't really stressful because we were still making money on the touring and stuff, so we weren't really stressed as far as that goes. But we were definitely fed up because we had heard like everybody else, you know that that. Puffy was the reason why we were so successful and and he was a puppeteer and we were the marionettes, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so it wasn't, you know, we we had gotten frustrated with hearing a lot of that for, the, you know, the first seven years of our career that the only reason why we were successful was because of Puffy's in his hand. While he played a major part in it, in it 112 was very instrumental in our success as well. We put in the hard work. We put in the hours of, of rehearsal. We put in the hours of studio. We put in the hours of writing you know what I'm saying, as well, but it didn't get highlighted, you know, back then, you know, for, for whatever reason, it, it didn't get highlighted, and, you know, uh, through no fault of anybody, that's just how it was, and so, you know, that was that man, and that, that was the way that his 
corporation and his company worked. And, you know, if you're assigned to him, that's how, you know, that's, that's what it was. We felt like it was a time, it was time for a change with us, but, you know, this being said, and I can say this on, you know, um, your, your platform as well, just so everybody knows our intent was not to leave bad boy. We were not like our initial intent was not to leave. Our intent was to be, uh, to get out from under the production deal that we were signed to through bad boy, which was taking, um, that was taking what eighty percent of what forty percent. I'm sorry, forty percent of everything that we made. So from advances to touring to shows to, to anything that we made, uh, endorsements, advertisement, anything that we made, the production company that we were signed to took forty percent of it. So we were tired of you know giving our money away basically for free because we were the one that was writing. We was the one that were producing. We was the one that was, you know, that was doing all the years of choreography and stuff. Now, in the beginning, yeah, it may have made sense for you to have a production company or an A and R or somebody or somebody there, an artist development to help us, you know, mold us. And to, but once we are established and we are one twelve, it became obsolete at that point, and we felt like a change was necessary. So we wanted to leave that situation, not necessarily leave Bad Boy, but leave that situation. Puffy was reluctant to leave that situation alone with regards to 112. So that's the reason why we left and when we found a better situation over at Def Jam. Wow, so, so the production deal that you guys have, could have uh, is was that on the bad boy? Did they have a production company signed it was, to it was It was Arista, boy, yeah. uh, it was Arista bad boy, Kalimia, that was the production deal, 112. Uh, okay. So we were signed to Kalimia, who then signed themselves to Bad Boy, who was signed to Ariston. Yeah. So the administrative you, deal. Yes. Yeah. So you can feel, you can understand the trickle yeah. down effect. So by the time Ariston gave us a million dollars, by the time it came, got to us, it was twelve thousand dollars a piece. You know what so I'm you, saying? But, yeah. But we were still on the hook for that million dollars though. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that right. Kalinia was that Puffy stuff, or was that somebody else? No, that was that was the manager slash production company. So okay. there was a conflict of interest right there in and of itself. He was a manager and a production company at the same time. So then so, why was Puffy reluctant to say, well, you guys, are, you've, you've done well. Let's Because I thought most deals were like that, where after your first album and it does well, it was like, well, we can bring you into the fold because we can see that you, you, you know, you, you're self-sufficient and stuff. Honestly, we don't have an answer to that other than the fact that the relationship that he had with the then manager slash uh, production company at the time. Like outside of that, we uh, honestly don't have a reason why. Because if you have a multi-platinum group that is selling records and making yeah. money for you, you know why would why wouldn't it make sense for you to try to keep them as 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 long as you possibly could? And if it meant you know giving up a production company in order to keep them, then in my mind, then it would have made the most sense to do. Yeah. However, um, because of their relationship. And like I said, I can't go into any more depth than that. But, uh, uh, but based on their relationship, the reason why we left and, and went to Def Jam, Def Soul, is because Puffy was reluctant to get rid of that production deal that we were signed to. Yeah. But when you get to Def Soul, what's the difference coming up with an album there um, compared to when you are on Bad Boy? What's the, the was that, I mean, for you, four of you at the time, was there sort of a different vibe, a different energy, or? Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Bad Boy is a boutique label. And, you know, um, I would say Def Jam, Def Jam, it was really like, um, they would supply. So they were like, they, they expected you to have all of the pieces together and okay. you, you put everything together. As opposed to where it was Bad Boy, Bad Boy was more, a little bit more hands-on where everything was catered, you know what I'm saying, to you. So you had the accesses to like Hitman, this, that, you know what I mean? They had it around you. Yeah. So with, with Def Jam, they just gave you the platform and there you go. You put it, you put your situation out there. So, I mean, um, that's why I've, I kind of contribute that to the fourth album, even though, you know, I, like I said, whatever successes that we had with the fourth album probably wasn't as deserved, you know what I'm saying? Like, but we didn't have a standout record or anything like that. And regardless of uh, what type of um, po powers that certain people had as far as putting, putting records together and this or whatever, didn't quite know what the hell they were doing. So, so, and, and so that's why I said that at the, the fourth album was one, and, but then we quickly uh, adjusted. And mm -hmm. that's the reason why we had, here we go on the fifth album day, fifth album goes platinum and we have a top five or whatever record we had there. So platinum. I mean, record. when you, if on reflection, I mean, there is the understanding about the production deal and how much that's, you know, you, you want to get away, get, get away from that. Um, I think I spoke with Changing Faces, same thing um, um, with Intro. When they left their production deal, you know, and went direct to, um, I, I, both of them went direct to, um, I can't even remember the name of the, the of their, right, as, as Atlantic. It, it, they, they realized that, wow, you know, they've got Brandy, they've got all this stuff to go on. So they, it was pretty much, here's the schedule, get your stuff out. And that hands-on, sort of touch and that support to push and get the singles on the radio and everything wasn't there. It was almost like you do it yourself. And it, and it, and it almost affected their own album sales once they went direct. Um, did you, when you saw how Def Jam worked, being a massive label as it was, did you then think, wow, we'll still, this is still better than the situation we had before? Or did you think, oh man, if we were back at Bad Boy, we probably would have gone those singles out and stuff? Um, financially, it was a better situation. You know what I mean? It was definitely a better Never situation. would have got made that money. No, we'd have never made that money. At Bad Boy, we would have definitely made that kind of money. You know what I'm saying? That, that yeah. we made at Def Jam. The problem, with like that is, the problem with that is we had come from, like Slim said, we had come from a boutique label, which was more hands-on, whereas Def Jam was more of, we're going we're gonna to help you guys help you. Basically, like you got to come in with your system in place. You got to come in with your corporation, your VP, your your, your CEO, your CFO, your COO. Yeah. You know, all of those people are, are in place and all they're doing is funding you the money and then they get their return. That's what Def Jam pretty much was versus yeah. Bad Boy where they were more hands-on and they were more intricate with your development versus Def Jam who was like, look, baby, I just want, like what Al Davis said with the, with the Raiders, just win, baby. <laughs> 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 just, just win, baby. Like, look, I don't care how you, you know, how you get there. I just need you to win. That's what Def Jam's mindset was. So they didn't really care how, you know, the the, the platinum album got made. They just wanted <laughs> it to be platinum album. Versus Bad Boy, where they cultivated you and they and they nurtured yeah. you, and it was more hands on. So that was one of the things that we were ill prepared for because we were so used to being 
hands-on and people yeah. being hands-on with us and people, you know, kind of guiding us this way and guiding us that way. Well, we felt like we were ready, you know, um, but at the end of the day, as a unit, some of us may have been ready, but as a unit, we were we were ill-prepared for the kind of machine that Def Jam was. So as a result of that, it did not uh, uh, give the same, uh, the desired effect or the desired results that we were looking for. Like they were looking for a part three once we got to Def Jam. And because of the fact that we had so much freedom, we didn't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Versus that bad boy, you know what I'm saying? It was like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. You got to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. So that's pretty much what the you know what what we had to do at Bad Boy. So you know we we worked with we gave you the best of what we had versus Def Jam where you had whatever you wanted. Yeah. And, and as a result, you know we came in you know under under expectations or whatever, man. So that was the you know the difference between being at a, a major versus being at a boutique. You know what I mean? Like they they wanted you to already be a corporation in and of yourself. Wow. Because we were learning to be and corporation in and of ourselves at Bad Boy, learning the game, but yeah. still was under that mindset that, you know, Def Jam was going to be there to help cultivate us, help, uh, help grind, help push us to the next level. When Def Jam was like, look, we gave y'all the money. Go go, go make us a hit. So uh, the f one question I had was, how come Clive did not see what was going on and say, okay, let's sign you guys directly to Arista? Was that ever an option? Um, well, without, you know what I mean, uh, disturbing things that we probably can't talk about. Yeah, Listen, no, 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 yeah. At, at the end of the day, at, at, at the end of the day, um, there was, a, there was, there was other things that, there were other things that were going on at that time. Okay. And, and, you know, so basically there was a negotiation going on and, you know what I mean, at the same time, and it came around the same time as negotiation with us. So I, I just think that, you know. At the end of the day, financially, 112 made the best, the best decision we possibly could have done. Yeah. Now, like, because we would have never made that kind of money ever in, in our life. Wow. But you know what I'm saying? But 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 then that being said, that you know, with us, there are no regrets. There was only experiences. Yeah. And you know, that's why I said you could talk about the fourth album, then let's talk about the fifth album. Because yeah. see, with, 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 with 112, you know, we learn how to adapt and adjust with everything and I think that comes to the roots of where we're from and, and just our families and you know what I'm saying, just the things that we've been, you know, you know it, it was just like us, when I think about it, when I look at Mike and I think about the times that the certain talent shows and you know, in areas that we weren't supposed, in areas that we weren't supposed to be in because maybe of our hoods or whatever, we still conquered those situations, you know what I'm saying, because of how we adapted to situations, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So that being said, yes, the fourth album started off rough. It started off rough, you know what I mean? And we learned about, uh, we learned a lot about the business and about ourselves wow. and about each other. Yeah. And well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that's why when the fifth album came out, thank God for certain people that actually believed with us that, hey, you know what I mean? This, this industry is not, it's chess, not checkers. Mm. So just because you're, you're at a disadvantage of this one game does not determine your whole tournament. So, yeah. and at the end of the day, 112 always wins the tournament. <laughs> there was a song on your fifth album that I heard you say, there was, I, can't remember, I can't remember the name of the song where you talk about, we wrote, we, were, we, we wrote all our stuff, all our hits. I don't, 
there was a song you guys were singing on that. You said on the fourth album, it's called Every Day, which I don't even want to talk about that. Because right? <laughs> okay. that, that, like, that doesn't, because at, at the end of the day, you know, let's just say this, like there were certain things that were happening when I would say, isn't, you can't just look at the labels or whatever, you know what I'm saying? A lot of stuff that needs to be handled starts from the inside too. Mm. So there were a lot of things that was going on in the group okay. that, you know what I mean, that, that should have been addressed long time ago. And a lot of times when you are listening, you, you are, the, everybody out there in the world, the millions of people that supports 112, you're growing with us and you're watching us. In effect, it's, it's almost like a reality show, but we're doing it through song. Mm. Our whole lives are out there. So just like the successes, there are some mishaps that pop too. And you all are probably scratching your heads like, man. And you know, the great thing about our situation was the fact that there was no social media. Thank yeah. God. So, you know what I mean? That, you know, so there are a lot of things that, you know, at our times we could substitute or mask with success, musical success. Yeah. But that, you know, but that being said, on certain albums, sometimes the writing was on the wall right there in front of y'all in albums. So, you know, um, that that particular record, you know what I'm saying, don't define all everybody. It just, it, it just, what I say, like, at the end of the day, fourth album was what it was. 112, the brand adjusted. And on the fifth album, you now see another platinum top, you know what I'm saying? An, yeah. Another platinum album on your fifth album at that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now name groups that can say that, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. and have those type of situations. So it, this is a blessing. Yeah. I mean, most groups don't get, don't get to do three albums, not to talk of five and six and stuff like that. Um, we, we talked earlier about mental health and I wonder when your first time getting dropped or leaving or parting companies with Def Jam, how was that on you guys as a, as a, as a foursome having to be, having to be told, yeah, we're parting companies because I think we always have to be aware that it's not just the fact that the groups aren't selling. It's the fact that the industry had shifted to invest in hip hop. So there were, there were, there were, it's, you were spending a lot more on hip hop and R&B was across the board was being squeezed out. But for Def Jam to say, guys, you know, we're, we're not going to go win another the third album. Well, what was that like on you guys? Sure. It, uh, it was traumatic, man. Like I would, I would, I would attest it to being um, similar to an, uh, an athlete who was signed to, you know, a certain city for years. And then they've been told that they've been traded, you know, sent to another team or they've been dropped or they've been cut to another team. Like you put your heart and your soul into whatever it is. Like when we moved to Def Jam, we were Def Jam at that point. You know, you couldn't tell us nothing. We were Def Jam for life. You know what I'm saying? It was like, just like where we were with Bad Boy, it was Bad Boy for life. Then we moved to Def Jam. You know, we was all dedicated to Def Jam as well. So, you know, when, once once they gave us the, the, the word that, you know, they were no longer... Um, looking to to partner with 112 it was it was hard it was it was bittersweet you know on the one hand they they let us go without us owing anything or you know wow. uh, um, uh, us having to repay anything like things of that nature or anything so yeah they just let us go free you know uh, free and easy but at the same time we were left at a point where you know they felt like 112 was on a 
on a on a, uh, a decline. So you know, not a lot of record labels was filling one twelve at that point as, as far as that goes. So you know, we could have easily gone out, you know, our own way, went independent, created our own records or whatever, so forth and so on. But prior to that, man, you know, it's it, it, and so it, that's the bitter and that's the sweet of it. It's like we was now we was able to etch out our own, you know, our own legacy and our own career how we wanted to. However, all of us weren't of the same mind frame when it came to that. You know what I mean? So and and, and one twelve at that time, you had to be a unit of four in order to move forward. With yeah. If you had one person that felt this way and three other people felt another way, then it wasn't gonna work. Well, two people feeling one way, two people feel another way, it just wasn't gonna work. You know what I mean, and um, so as far as that business aspect was was concerned, so it was definitely a trying time for us, and it and it did not feel good initially when we were told that we were no longer wanted or we were no longer mm. needed, you know, in a, on a major record label, whatever. So yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was bittersweet, man. It, it 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 was good. The good of it was we were able to etch out our own legacy at that point, but the bad of it was now. That, now that we were dropped by bad uh, by Def Jam, the stigma, yeah, of being dropped by a label was always going to be there. So, of course, in the music industry, everything is word of mouth. So, if if Def Jam let us go, then that means Atlantic heard that we would let go. Jive let us, that was heard that we would let go. So so Def was heard that we would let go. The Face was heard that we would let go. Arista was heard that we had let go. And so the question, what? so what's the reason why Def Jam let them go? Are they no good? Can they not sell records? Can they do that? And that's that stigma that comes yeah. along with it too, man. So, you know, we had to we had to navigate through all of that. Yeah. Here, you know, you come up with the, you know, Q, Mike, Slim, and Duran, and that comes out 2017. You're coming in on an independent label. I think that, that was um, E1. Um, and I think by this time we've got a lot more digital, so it's not the same as you know you have to release singles and stuff. What was that experience like going from, you know, first you've got the ultimate marketing label called Def Bad Boy, then you've got Def Jam Universal, which was, you know, massive money was coming from everywhere, going in in on an independent route. When it comes to doing the album and then having it sort of being promoted. What because I, I could probably it, it helps you guys now with your own independent stuff. Well, how is it doing that particular album and watching it sort of come out to the public? Oh, me, me, or you might. I think it's you. Okay, well, I, I mean, the that album, I mean, personally, it's kind of hard for me to even listen to, but um, um. The situation altogether, I would just say the the opportunity was amazing. The opp the opportunity was amazing because you know um, the whole concept of it was to put out a project. You know, which felt like the fans were owed that. It was a long time. You know, the last time we had put out a project, two thousand five. You know, so so we just felt like that it just it was needed. And it was supposed to be in conjunction of a um, a tour, a world tour that was supposed to be set up all together. Yeah. And um, it well, I mean, it didn't it didn't play its part the way it's supposed to because of a lot of factors, a lot of factors. I'm just I'm not going to talk about all that stuff now. But yeah, I would just say I I, I would just say that you know um, you know, just the opportunity to be able to still get deals and still get situations and 
And, you know, um, actually, we kind of we kind of surpassed what we were supposed to do. Let's just say let, let's just say that, too, like on a like on a like paper wise, it, it just it did what it's supposed to do. But, you know, um, the whole thing with projects and, you know, what I mean, getting back together and stuff like that is like you're you're reintroducing yourself and it's supposed to be a long period of time. Yeah. So anytime that doesn't happen for myself personally, that that's more of a failure. So it doesn't matter how much money we made, you know what I'm saying, or what type of situations that happen or whatever, just a little disappointing, you know what I'm saying? You know, not just only to myself, but uh, just uh, for the fans in general, because you know what I'm saying, like uh, coming back, you know, I know what I had in mind and what I promised, personally promised, and you know what I'm saying, like, you know, there were a lot of sacrifices made. Yeah. But so, so, but, but the great thing about it is that, you know, um, for the ones that, you know, definitely were looking for, for, you know, for guys to get back together and, and you know what I'm saying, and, and do a project and actually see us or whatever. It, it, it started off being the, what it's supposed to, you know what I'm saying, what it's supposed to do. But what it did was it, it actually caught it, it like, um, sent Mike and I into a situation where we now know business-wise what to do. And now we, we're definitely, be, we're reaping the benefits of, you know, looking at the past and what was done yeah. and how things were being done. And now that, you know, there's a cohesiveness and where there's no ulterior motors or anything like that, you know what I mean? Now, you know, this is not a hobby, this is a business. And, 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 and I, my business for my brother is to make sure that he's straight too. Mm. I love his kids and his family just like I love mine. I love my I love my team and their families just as much as I love mine. We us and our. That's what it's really for. We're not chasing billboards anymore. 30 million records underneath our belt. So we're not chasing billboards. Let the younger kids do that. What are we doing now? We're supposed to be adding to our legacies you know what i'm saying like i look at stevie wonder with his catalog how many albums he done all of them weren't didn't hit the billboard yeah. does not diminish everything 112 we're blessed to have you know five out of six or something like that where you know we we've always been successful you know what i'm saying like probably better than any group that's out yeah but that being said you know what i'm saying it's like now we're the touring, we're, we, what we concentrate on is being the touring artist. Touring artists go out here and everybody knows when you hear 112 on the radio saying we're coming into any parts of the world, you know what time it is. We're selling out arenas, we're closing them. We're not just a part of it. Yeah. So that's what we're, we're, that's what we're striving for and that's what we've been doing on a consistent basis until COVID had happened. So yeah. Yeah, well, I know you're touring with my my guys, Blackstreet. I interviewed both um, Eric and Levi recently, and um, I'm I, you know I'm you know good good friends with Chauncey. But uh, so I know you guys are going to Vegas and, and other places with with them sh um, shortly. But I, I when um, when Michael left um, Boys to Men, it was took us a long time to adjust to the three of them. Um, but because vocally they they were very distinct in, in vocally, we've sort of you know 
we've sort of adapted to the three of them um, as it is. But um, the same thing happened when Dawn left and Vogue, you know, I think it really affected their third album because she was, you know, she, she sang lead on that Don't Let Go and then she leaves when they're about to come out their third album. When you guys go on tour, you know, from a lot of us knowing 112 as, as four guys harmonizing and, and performing, how has the, how, was it, how did you guys adapt and adjust to just the two of you guys instead of the four? And what was the initial response from the fans? Uh, the initial, the initial reaction from the fans was uh, confusion at first, you know, because they, they were trying to figure out who these other two dudes that we had on stage with us were, and, and they were our dancers, you know what I mean? And, uh, we had a lot of debate about whether or not we should put microphones in their hands and all this other stuff, and Slim, I, Slim and I just said, no, man, listen, we're the singers, we are 112, these guys are our background dancers, and we got to make sure that that's known, that that's what's going on right now, and not that we're trying to replace you know, anybody in 112, because we do understand that, like, regardless of whether or not these guys are, are in the group or not, the other former members or not, we understand that people remember 112 and people have fond memories of it being a four-man group. So yeah. it would it would have done a disservice to us to try to re uh, try to reinvent that, you know what I mean? So rather than us do that, we just said, look, take the microphones out of these dudes' hands, and let them be dancers because that's exactly who they are. We're the ones singing the songs. We're gonna, you know, I'm gonna occasionally dance, Slim gonna occasionally dance, but for the most part, them dudes are background dancers. You know what I mean? Let them be dancers. Me and Slim will sing the leads, and that will be the new dynamic that is 112. You'll still have the 112 sound because I did a lot of the background, Slim did a lot of the leads, and you're so you're still gonna get that same sound. But you know, it's an adjustment period for everybody. I mean, nobody feels um more disappointed in how everything went down than Slim and myself, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we we understand, not even from a personal standpoint, but from a business standpoint, what it meant for us to go out as a duo versus going out as a quartet. Now, there have been situations where we we could have added no-name um, artists. Huge. Huge name, huge or solo artists that were dying to be in 112, but, you know, we decided against that. You know, at the time, because our mindset was we need to establish to the world that 112, regardless if there's one, there's two, there's four, there's 15 people that's in the group, that you're still going to get the same sound. You're still going to get the same kind of energy that you would. And if it was a four man, the original four man group, which is another reason why 112 came out with the EP. Yeah. Does the um, fans will always hope? You know, they, they talk about Guy, Timmy Garton, joining Teddy and all that coming back. They always hope. Um, and you guys, if you've known each other since the ninth, early 90s or late 80s, um, you guys have gone through thick and thin. Is there ever, I mean, regardless of music, on a, on a human level, um, are, are, are you guys just cordial? If you see each other on the street, do you walk past or would you give a high five, what's going on and, and stuff outside of business, just human beings as, as people that you've grown up with. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I can't speak for Slam yet, but I haven't spoken to them dudes in like over three years, so. Um, 
I I mean, the last time I seen him was in court, and uh, you know, um, let's just say, you know, uh, let's concentrate on the Weez us and yeah. ours, and you know, standing one twelve, like yeah. the brand. When you guys and I, I, I saw on your Instagram the one twelve Instagram account, and it and it says we can't wait to for you guys to for the, for us to do this live show again. But I saw four guys all dressed the same, dancing and, and before the performance. And I was like, wow, are you, was this an old footage? Or was it the two of you guys with your background dancers wearing the same outfits? It was a, the two of us and the two dancers. Okay. Yeah. And that's, okay. you know, honestly, that's how we've been able to get away with it initially. And, um, you know, but now we're at a point now where we're, we're telling everybody, hey, listen, this is the new 112. You know what I'm saying? You can either love it or you can, you know, you can not love it or whatever, but this is this is how we're moving forward. Now, for the last three years, you've been loving our new EP. You've been yeah. loving the performance. You've been coming out to the shows. And now all of a sudden that you realize that it's not the two original members that's in the background. Now you don't like us or whatever. Like, come on, man. Like, that's more of a reflection on, on who you are as a person versus, you know, what we're doing as people. What we're trying to do is keep the legacy going what we are doing, I'm sorry, what we're doing is keeping the legacy going and providing for our families. We still got kids. We still got, you know, responsibilities and stuff. Am I supposed to not, you know, take care of my kids because 112 ain't, uh, ain't built the same way that you remember? No, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen like Life doesn't happen like that. Yeah. So we're going to continue making moves. And, and at, at the end of the day, as long as you still get the 112 sound, you still get the 112 vibe as far as the phone, the shows are concerned or whatever, then what does it matter? You know what I'm saying? Like who's who's behind me and Slim, you know what I'm saying, dancing and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Because hell, he and I were doing the majority of the singing in the damn way. Yeah. The um I, I saw you, you guys came up with some new videos and it felt as if you had Hype Williams do the videos. And I'm thinking going independent and still be able to not just the, the music, but the, the, the visuals at that kind of level and quality, I was like, wow, who's backing you guys in order that you are able to not drop the standard? Because I've seen some artists coming out with videos that almost looks as if they just got their friend on a video on their phone to start recording it. So it really well, shocked me. Yeah. That way, you know what? That that was uh, Mike and I coming together and saying that we're not going to settle for anything. And uh, and you know, and and here we go. We we reap the uh, reap the benefits of that. Like Mike and I by ourselves had a top have a top ten top ten record. So you can't tell us what we can't do. Worst thing to do is tell our brand what we can and cannot do. So yeah. um, and, and you know, as far as the uh, you know having the dancers, that that's been going on for about, what three and a half years, and uh, nobody has really don't have no problem with it right now. So it's just like you know, um, you know, it was a. Um, situation about three years ago you know where mike and i was looking at each other like do you think what do you think bro you know what i mean and for us it was just like back in the day like one in the like in talent shows you know what i'm saying like we i don't care we didn't have if, if we came up there we had the intent of doing what we we're going to do and they tell us hey we don't have but one mic now, the way we practice and, you know, I mean, how we, you know, what we did at Mike's grandma crib, you know, what I mean, we practice one way. But but 112, the one great thing about 112, we successfully know how to adapt. Mm. So that's what makes us 
in fact, one of the characteristics that makes us different from others. Yeah. So we don't we don't dwell in the past. You like yeah. like the past is great. You know what I'm saying? But what we do now it affects our future. We look forward to our future. So it's just like no, you know, we get the phone calls of the unsongs and the stuff like that. And no, our book is not the chapters aren't over yet. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like we still have some things that we need to accomplish. And um, now that we kind of know that it's going in that direction, I, hey, look, I mean, at the end of the day, Mike and I, we started just our mind frame of what were we thinking about when we, you know, when we, when Mike said, hey, I could be in this group and yeah. what, you know, we talk about that. We still do. We're still students of the game. Yeah. So, so now things are different. All that stuff in the 90s, that is different now. So yeah. now we are in the age of digital. You just, that's what you said. Yeah. 112 were one of the premier uh, brands that, that jumped off versus and now having stake into things like Triller and you know mm. what I'm saying? Like it's a whole nother level going on. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it's not that whole, it's not simple. Like in the nineties, we mastered that. When the two thousands came, we mastered that situation too. Yeah. Now we're in this situation right here where digital, uh, we're mastering that situation too. And I think it's time, it's time for us to reach back and you know what I mean? And um, help some younger artists and you know what i'm saying which we're we're doing that too now we're helping other artists get to a situation using the knowledge and the resources that we have and you yeah. know what i'm saying because it's that's that time now we've been doing it for 25 years you know we've achieved any type of success that anybody could have well i don't think uh, 112 we're blessed that we you know we've seen it all we've performed in every arena huge yeah. arena we've been everywhere in the world a billion times yeah. Now it's time for us to even elevate our brand even more and reach back and help others. Yeah. So that's where I mean, we no, are. It's, right it's, now. it's not everyone that has a Grammy award. Um, even even my favorite group of all time, Guy, never got a, a Grammy or anything. So it's not an easy accomplishment. Do you guys plan to um, to develop your own artists and release artists, or or is it just really going to be focused on on the One Twelve brand? Um, that's always a possibility. However, I feel like um, our our strength lies within ourselves and, and being able to, you know, keep the 112 legacy going. Because like Slim said earlier, we still got a lot to accomplish with 112. We still got to get that walk on the star on the walk of fame. We still yeah. got to get that that um heart that that uh, that rock and roll hall of fame award. Hell, yeah. we got to get a, a hall of fame for Georgia. You know, uh, the city that we're from, you know, the, yeah. the state, the city that we're from, we still haven't received the kind of accolades that comes with being from this city as well, man. Like, you know, that's the works. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> awesome. awesome. But, it, you know, but until this day, you know, it, it still feels like we're redheaded stepchildren, man. And, and, it's, and so I would really love for, you know, for Atlanta to start acknowledging 112 the same way they do Outkast and Goody Mob and Killer Mike and T.I. and, you know, because we're actually from the city. Like, we're born and raised, you know, what they call the Grady Babies. Like, I'm I'm an actual Grady Baby. Straight you know up. what I mean? So, you know, and so that, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, it's crazy to me how 
you know, and I get it, you know, because we were signed a bad boy and things of that nature. People kind of get it confused that, you know, maybe we were signed, maybe we were from New York or New Jersey or whatever, up top somewhere. But no, we're born and raised from Atlanta, man. And, and uh, well, those kind, those are the kind of acknowledgement because we won all the white folk awards. You know, we got the Moon Man, we got the, <laughs> uh, the, the the Grammys, we got the, you know, we got all of those more awards and accolades and stuff. Yeah. But it would be nice for us to receive something from our people, something from our where yeah. we come from, where it all originated from. NAACP Image Awards. Yeah. You know, we would love to have those kind of things, man. So, you know, that, those are our goals right now. So to answer your question thoroughly. Um, while it's not out of the question as far as us developing new artists and things of this nature, yeah. I think the, the most pertinent thing for Slim and myself is to keep establishing this 112 machine now because now we're up against the, you know, up against the wall even more so, you know, because now it's not a four-man group, it's a two-man group now. So now we got to reprove ourselves over and over again, you know yeah. what I'm saying, to these people that don't believe that just because it's only two of us that we're capable of, of success. And that's where we are right now. Yeah. Now, one of the things I always, when I'm wrapping up my interviews, I always ask my guests that if you were stuck in an elevator and you were told, look, you, you're going to be there for about two or three hours and you had a choice of a movie to watch, what would you request? What movie would you request? Uh, me, it would be Usual Suspects. Okay. Slim? Oh, man. That's hard. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be a classic. You know, if I'm in a, if I'm in a, um, uh, I'm stuck in an elevator, I better, I think I need to be amused. So, you know what? I'm, I, um, Adam Sandler movie, uh, 51st Days. Oh, oh, that's a good one with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> okay. Now, they're about to put on the movie, but they say, look, it'll take a few minutes. What song would you want to listen to before the movie comes on? Um, for me, it would be Human Nature, Michael, Michael okay. Jackson. Okay. Mm. Before it comes on? Yeah, so they're about to put on the movie, but it's, you, know, you kind of reach in your archives. You've got that song that you're always like, yeah, that's my jam. Uh... I don't know. I'll probably say anything about Babyface. <laughs> okay. Did you guys ever get to work with 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 him? Oh man, we got we got a story. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually uh, the crazy thing is, and I'll keep it short, you know. But uh, actually, Cupid came from the fact that we were supposed to work with Babyface, and we ended up not working with him for budget reasons. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, Cupid came from the fact that we couldn't work with Babyface, but we were like we were slated to work with him. So that's where Cupid came from. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't sound like. So, what did it come from his camp, or did you did you guys or where did it? No, oh, we wrote. Okay, okay. No, so we, basically, basically, uh, we couldn't afford Babyface prices at the time. <laughs> One hundred and twenty-five. Yeah. So you know, we 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 were at the tail end of our first album. The budget was was what it was. I think we had about ten dollars left in the, in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Puff had this great idea that at this time we wanted to go work, you know, y'all need to work with Babyface. Now keep in mind, he had just done Boys to Men, he had just yeah. done the, the, uh, the Waiting to Excel soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And all of this stuff. So he's Babyface at this point. He's Babyface. Baby <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, he, so his minimum is 125. You know what I mean? And we didn't have 125 in the budget. So we went back and we was like, we met him and he loved our sound. He loved, he wanted to work with us the whole nine. But then, you know, his when he came back with that number, we was like, ooh, face, we can't do that. <laughs> but 
But we had the brilliant idea to say, you know what, let's go ahead and create a record that sounds similar to what he did. And actually, if you listen to Cupid, it has the same chord progressions as When Can I See You Again, which oh. is the record where it originated from. Yeah. Okay. And it was one of your biggest hits, though. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it was, I mean, and, and that's the thing, as I said, I, I liked about the first album that it, it didn't have too many sort of you know, some albums have okay. These, we, the, you know, the bulk of it is what is by Tim and Bob or something like that. Then you get, you get Neptune's here and there, so it kind of doesn't feel like. That's why I said you, you don't yeah. skip your first album because it's right. just so cohesive and everything. Um, mm -hmm. I think I can't leave by not talking about being on, on, on Bad Boy and seeing everyone. You know, from Total, I'm, I'm interviewing Kima um, next week or so. But just what was it like? Did you guys feel like you were on one of the big, when, you know, when Mace, Biggie and everyone, did you feel like you were on the biggest, baddest label on the planet at, the, at, a, at one point in time? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Anybody that was from Bad Boy probably had that chip on their shoulder that we are the best. Like, and, you know, um, the pride that we have and still have with Bad Boy, because it's still Bad Boy, baby. Yeah. It's, that's what it is. That's our family. You know what I mean? Diddy is our big brother. Yeah. Anybody that was signed to uh, 112, we're still cool with. We still call, talk to them. It's, mm. still, it's still our love. So, you know, yeah, like, yeah, we, you know, in our heyday and even right now. And that's the reason why just some of the questions you asked with like, why does the material still seem top notch premiere? You know what I'm saying? Because we don't know anything but that. If it's going to be done, it's going to be done right. It's going to be top-notch A1, or don't yeah. do it at all. How hard I'm actually, was it? I'm actually, I'm actually vocal coaching Kima's daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, um, it's Kima. Her, her name is Kima, too. Yeah, but probably spelled differently. But okay. Yeah, yeah, vocal yeah. Coach, okay. yeah so when, when you do an interview with her, just, just mention to her that, you know. Like, yeah. That you, that, yeah, because I'm actually vocal coaching her daughter. Her name okay. is uh, my mama. You know, they only only uh, as her stage name or whatever. But I've been vocal coaching her for about you know for about four months now. So yeah, okay. so yeah. Make sure you bring that up to me. Yeah, you know, no, <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> the um, I think how hard was it to sing on "Missing You"? You know, especially because you guys knew Biggie and stuff. How was it a was it a hard track to record and do? Yeah, man, it was it was it was. It was hard, man, because um, you know, that was our homeboy. He was actually one of the first people to to embrace us as far as between him and Faith, they were like the first two that really embraced us as their bad boy. Like they knew that, you know, that 12 was from Atlanta and they were from New York or up top. And the the world seemed so much bigger to us once we got up there and stuff. So it was um they they just saw it in their hearts to just open their the world up to us and and say, yo, these are my guys. So their, their friends became our friends and wow. their people became our people. And, you know, it just became a family environment. Like we used to go around saying that it was the bad boy family. We And that wasn't just for show. That's because we actually considered ourselves a unit and we yeah. considered ourselves family, man. So for Big and, and for Faith to, you know, open themselves up and allow 112 to, you know, be embraced the way that we did, man, that speaks volumes. So, yeah, it was very difficult for us to, 
you know, to, to sing that song because it's still to this day, man, every March 9th, I take a shot for Big every every March wow. 9th, man. You know, to this day, and it's been, uh, he's been dead since, you know, what, uh, 2007? Yeah. I mean, no, 97? 97, 97, 97, I'm sorry, 97. So yeah, so he's been gone since 97, man. So ever since, ever since 97, I've always on March 9th, I, I take a shot for him, whatever, just because that's how impactful he was to us. And, you know, yeah, I feel like 112 would have been successful whether or not he had rhymed on the record, but him being on that record just really solidified us as being bad boy artists and being that premier next group or whatever. So, you know, I, I, I'm appreciative of that, man. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Would you guys, because I know Faith is still coming out with music, but would you guys ever collaborate with, you know, Total? We have. Oh, recently. Oh, you mean Total? Oh, yeah, okay. Total yeah, or, yeah, or we Faith or, or, or... Yeah, um, we have. We have. If you listen if you listen to uh, The King and I, we were on there. Yeah, we like, if, you know, uh, any of my projects, I've had Faith. I've had uh, Carl Thomas. I mean, okay. Like, I, like, I've had Jadakus. Like, you know, it's like, like I said, like, trust me when I tell you, like, we're, like, we're, we're still, everybody's still in touch with each other. You just see Mike yeah. is vocal coach and Kima's daughter. So it's yeah. just like, trust me when I tell you, like, it's still family. You know what I'm saying? It's still bad boy though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, everybody's okay. living in Atlanta. You know, I've interviewed Donnell. Everyone lives in Atlanta. Did you guys, do you see all these? Because as I said, when I... Lived in Selma. I remember my aunties were out in, you know, Marietta, and so. But you wouldn't see you had. I, I remember seeing Chris Cross at uh, at Andrew Young's house during Thanksgiving. But very rarely do you see people. But from Q Sweat to to whoever lives in Atlanta, do you guys all you know see each other in the mall? <laughs> is it you know all these big Bobby? Everyone's out in there. Is it? Is it? Does it feel like while well, everyone has moved down to the Black Mecca? For the, for the most part, man, when there's an event, you know, saying to be had or something, a big event, then, you know, the, uh, all the artists come out. But, you know, just like just like 112, you know, for the most part, you know, you, you just pretty much stay at home, you know, because you're so on, you're on the road all the time and, you know, yeah. you're so busy with, you know, with work and with life and all these other things, man, that you pretty much want to stay at home when you don't have to be, but uh, well, you don't have to be out in the, in the limelight or whatever, but when you're in the limelight, yeah, for the most part, everybody comes out, everybody shows up and shows out, so we pretty much see everybody, and, and you know, we all acknowledge each other, we all see each other, and, you know, and, it, and it's and it's a really, you know, great, you know, a movement, you know, for everybody to see each other and stuff, man, for the most part, yeah, if, if we're at home, you know, we're, we're staying at home, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? In fact, as I was preparing for today, I was saying to myself, what do you guys do when you're not on tour? Like, What's the day like? I mean, are, are you, you know, cutting the grass? Are you, you, you know, doing homework with the kids? Or are you in the studio just making music? I mean, what happens when, like, you're not on tour or anything on a, on a regular day? Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we try to catch up with whatever we can, you know, because we're, for the most part, always on the road. So whatever we can do that, you know, that, that – definitely requires family and stuff like that you know what i'm saying like we, we do we handle those situations and and we have to juggle our personal with our business so yeah that, you know what i'm saying in fact that's this is pleasure things you know <laughs> well guys i really have to appreciate um the interview um I, I was a little bit nervous about you guys have had so much music and you, you know there were so many directions and 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 how to to go it um 
but I, I would appreciate the fact how you guys were, you know, as always, diplomatic in, 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 in stuff and, you know, in the show, we're not looking for dirt, but it was great to see things that we didn't know about how, I knew you guys wrote for yourself, but I never knew you were writing for all these other people because it wasn't well known and, and, and established and stuff. So it's an amazing sort of achievement, but also the fact that you too still have that sense of you know one for all and all for one and and stuff as fans no matter where it is would always be hoping and saying one day we'll will you know the white rock groups you know fall out and they come back you know and that's as you know it's all in god's hands if if that ever if that ever comes up but it's not a it's not a case where we don't appreciate and accept and celebrate what you guys are doing now and um, I know people are going to know that you guys have a tour coming up in Vegas, um, which 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 is out. Um, as I said, Black Street's also on that. Any other shows that we should should have should look out for? Uh, we have another show in Detroit, and uh, you know it's, it's still kind of um, iffy because the promoters are real reluctant to you know do shows with uh, COVID being you know as prevalent as it is. But yeah. as more and more people get vaccinated, then they. Um, and they uh, allow themselves to, you know, to, to open up more and more. Once Live Nation gives the, the green light, I believe everybody else will follow suit. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so pretty much everybody's waiting on, you know, the big wig, the, the, the heavy hitters to yeah. go ahead and give the green light as far as shows are concerned. And once they do that, I think the floodgates will open up at that point. So we're anticipating um, August, September, somewhere yeah. around around that time where the floodgates are going to open, man, and, and we're going to get a lot of shows and more shows than, than Slim and I are going to be, you know, really ready for. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely take it because, you know, we're, we're antsy and we're very excited about getting back on the stage and performing for our fans again. Yeah. You know, I put down here, what is your favorite album? So I told you what the fans voted for, but for you guys, maybe Slim first, what would you say is your favorite 112 album that you you guys have done. I can't say I, I don't have a I don't have a favorite. Like all of them were like all, they're all experiences. Like they're all they're all special in themselves. You know what I'm saying? Either if I if I didn't like them or not, they're all like the same. Okay, but Mike, if you had to be inducted in a, when you guys are inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they say which one would you want to put up as your this is my proudest one? What would you pick? Uh, part, part three. Okay. Part three. Only because that, that symbolized 112, uh, that part three album meant more to 112 than just us putting another album out. To me, it symbolized our independence because we were tired of people saying that it was it was just Puffy that was the reason why we were so successful. So we was rebellious on that, on that third album. And uh, it, it reflected on the third album as well. So if I had to pick one, I would say that part three, um, you know the the Q Mike Slim Duran album actually vocally we sounded better than we that as a unit than we've ever sound as a unit before. However, it didn't get the the acclaim or even the recognition that you know I felt like it should have had or whatever. But vocally, that's one of the better albums. But part three, I would say, as far as our independence and yeah. us just going against the grain and yeah. not giving a damn what nobody else thought, part three was that record. Wow, and and song wise though, you you've done. You know, when you've come up with seven, eight, seven albums and stuff, you've got plethora of songs. But if you had three top three songs, which 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 would be your top three songs that you're proudest, not your best, but your proudest of? 
Oh, of, of songs that our songs and yeah you, your songs yeah songs your top three done. that you've done that you're proudest of your top three that you said yeah these are three songs that I'm really proud of damn sandwich <laughs> oh, oh. man that that that's the hard one too I, <laughs> that 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 is, that is hard that is hard that is hard I I mean I I would probably say oh. Uh, Oh man, <laughs> that that's hard. That is hard. I let Mike get it. That's that's hard. Uh, I would say only you, Cupid, pieces of cream. Okay, <laughs> you already had those locked down. I mean, because are these the songs you're picking? Songs you do on your tour and you, yeah. uh, your playlist and stuff. Yeah, well, those songs meant so much to only you because it started. Only you started everything off, Cupid, because it revolutionized the way that people saw us. And part three just put us in a whole other stratosphere. Did you guys do, when you did Cupid, did Total then go and do Kissing You? Because it sounded the same type of, the same type of string stuff. Was it a sense of imitating the success of, of Cupid? Nah, nah. Nah, we Because we actually wrote that for them. So when we did it, we were like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think we came with a, the mind frame we wanted to make this a cupid because you know like we, we you know we felt like total had their own sound and stuff man and, and they should have you know we got to stick to that to that to that sound that they have you know what i'm saying so them trying to do cupid would be us trying to do like can't you see and like it, it, it'll be different like it, it you know it'd be a different vibe or whatever so um now when we wrote that song for them it was really like you know let's just let's just make a remix let's just make it simple make it fun and just something that you know everybody can sing along to yeah. yeah. Well, guys, you, you know, it's um, it's after midnight here, but I really appreciate it. I never knew what direction this was, was going to was going to go to. Um, I, um, next week, I, I fly to Nigeria to bury my dad. Sadly, he, you know, COVID took his life just before Christmas. So, um, yeah. but when I get back, I'm going to edit this and, and, and put it out. But I really appreciate I'm going to I'll get in touch with Greg to thank him for, for arranging this. I apologize for the fact that I'd, I'd, there's something wrong with my account where when you guys logged in, it didn't show that you were on. So I had to come out and, and, and find another way to get back in. So I've never, never had this happen where you people are waiting because I, I, you know, so I, pre I apologize um, for that. But I appreciate the, um, you guys have been awesome, even being patient when things are shut down and, and having to come back on. It's been really eye-opening for me. Um, especially, as I said, I've, I can't count how many people I've interviewed, but your stories have been probably one of the better ones because you've shown in, in the midst of adversity, there's still a hunger for more and, and you're not dwelling in the past. You're really looking forward to the future, so which is really admirable and amazing. And, and um, I really appreciate and look forward to bigger and better things coming from you guys. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it, man, Thank so much, man. And condolences to your family, man. And yes. be, uh, get over to Nigeria safely and get back home, man, safely as well. Yeah, thanks very much. But uh, thanks, guys. And when 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 I get back and, and I release it, I'll let Greg know so that um, you know um, you know. And if you you know check us out on Halftime Chat, I interviewed Woody Rock from who left Drew Hill um, just a couple of days ago, and you know you know his stories as, as well. So it's been the fans love hearing these stories. They're sad but they enjoy hearing stuff that, wow, we never knew. And it gives a different type of appreciation when we see you guys in tour. 
we can see that wow we can see where you're coming from and stuff so awesome. I, I look forward to really letting people know about this stuff but thanks guys and um yeah yeah stay safe as well thank you brother <laughs> thanks for watching please remember to subscribe to the channel but most importantly to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview loads to come but thanks a lot for watching Ooh.